Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. On today's show, Dr. Henry Morris III, CEO of the Institute for Creation Research, will cover part seven of a 10-part series on the six days of creation. Here's Dr. Morris. One of the most wonderful things about the Bible passage on the creation of the world, the universe, the stars, everything, is that God seems to give it in such simple, clear, and even precise language that we just simply can't make a mistake. On day one, all he did was bring into existence where nothing existed before our universe, the space, matter, time of things which is our reality. On day two, really, all he did was organize it a bit to make it a little bit more protective, separating the goopy water matrix on from day one into two separate bodies of water. And then on day three, separating the water below from the land and making what we think of as our planet Earth and then bringing into existence on the dry land the wonderful food sources broken up into three broad categories of grass and herbs and trees, all of which was designed to be food for the living things that would process. One thing still remaining were the clocks, and on day four he set in motion in the stellar bodies all of that which would give us references and timekeeping pieces for days and seasons, for times, for years. And then he was ready to begin to produce living things. And then God said, Let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly in the air across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now that's five times he's repeated that simple formula. The dark time and the daytime was a certain day period. The evening and the morning. On this fifth working day, God brings into existence the bara, the life, the that would be the unique self-conscious ability to understand who the little critter was, the great animal was, and even ultimately you and I who bear his image. The active verb in this passage is that bara, or to create. Life is much more than merely a collection of complex molecules like the plants. Up until this moment, God had been organizing the structure of the heavens and the earth so that the entire cosmos would be sufficient to sustain the life that he would create on day 5 and 6. As a reminder, in the text of Genesis 1, it uses the verb bara only on day 1, 5, and 6. On days 2, 3, and 4, the days are organizing and structuring, along with the specialized sprouting of the earth on day 3, 
Apparently, God also formed the bodies of the air and the land creatures as he gave personal attention to the various kinds of living animals that would over the millennia come to reveal something about him. In Genesis 2.19, here's a comment. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Much later, centuries later, God speaking to Job said, Ask now the beasts. They will teach you. The birds of the air, they'll tell you. Whatever God did and however God made and formed the animals, he made sure that we would understand that creation was the difference between the living creatures and the food that had sprouted for them to eat. These creatures were alive. We can take a few minutes to look at some of them. They're really exciting. All of us have marveled at the birds of our world. Some are exquisitely brilliant in color. Some sing so wonderfully that our hearts weep with joy. Others glide and soar through the air like the most graceful acrobats and ballet dancers. The lure of flight has driven many to experiment, <laughs> from the doomed Icarus of Greek mythology to the success even of the Wright brothers. Yet all of our engineering skill, fighter jets, rockets, commercial aircrafts, they fail miserably to mimic the efficient and effective design of the tiniest little bird. For instance, feathers, <laughs> they're not really simple. They vary in type, and they use from the soft inner down to the varied wing, tail, and head crest. Feathers have shafts and veins and barrels. They have colored pigments, as well as various types of built-in prism designs that refract light. The colors vary across the spectrum, from plain black and white to spectacular radiance that brings an involuntary gasp of breath at the stunning beauty. Despite the false reports of feathered dinosaurs, only birds have feathers. There are fightless birds with feathers, like pendrons and ostriches. They're still birds. No evolutionist has a clue how feathers could have begun to develop. Indeed, <laughs> there have been countless papers written on how such things might have come about, but none have observed any kind of empirical data. Feathers are marvelously designed components. Everything we know and observed is that feathers were designed for the functions that they fulfill. Feathers came into existence. At the same time, birds did. God created birds to fly. Now it's time for a short break. We'll hear more from Dr. Morris in a moment. The design of the human body inspires awe and fascination, and for good reason. It's made up of so many different parts and systems, all working together for a greater purpose. Check out our book, Guide to the Human Body, to discover astonishing facts about the construction of the cell, the mechanics of hands and feet, and the incredible abilities of the brain. Published by the Institute for Creation Research, Guide to the Human Body will answer questions you didn't even know you had. How do our eyes give us sight? How does a baby take its first breath? What happens to the human body in outer space? Guide to the Human Body's full-color images and easy-to-read format shows our amazing design points to the ultimate designer, God. Order your copy from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. That's 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. 
Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Morris. Well, here we are on the fifth day when God brings into existence the air creatures and the water creatures. Talking just a little bit about the birds and the magnificent way that they're designed. Even just on the outside, their feathers are very, very different. They're marvelously designed. <laughs> well, there's countless papers written on how they might have come about, but nobody seems to know. And when the evolutionists get involved with this natural selection bit, they use kind of magic words like, well, they just arose or emerged, they appeared, or something gave rise to, or they were derived from. <laughs> well, they kind of burst on the scene. Nobody really knows except the simple statement, God created these things. Now, not all flying creatures were birds. There were some now extinct flying reptiles like the pterosaur and the pteranodon, and there are modern bats like the mammals. These don't have feathers, but they are obviously designed for flying. They spend much of their time life flying. Both their bones and their lungs are different. All flying creatures are built around a skeleton that's both light and composed mostly of hollow bones. It's very different from animals that are designed to walk on solid ground. These flying animals, birds and flying reptiles and bats, are specifically designed to fly. Their structure is different. Their activity is different. Their lifestyle is different. The sternum, for instance, the breastbone of flying creatures, is designed like a keel of a boat. This is the anchor point where most of the flight muscles are attached. Other air-breathing mammals have nothing like this. In fact, things that fly have fewer bones than other mammals or reptiles. Many of their bones are fused, making the overall skeleton rigid, sort of like the unibody of modern automobiles. The neck vertebra are also very different in flying animals. Anyone who's ever watched a bird groom its feathers will understand why. Most flying creatures have to keep up the maintenance on their wings and bodies and need very flexible necks. Even the wishbone that we save at holiday dinners is unique to creatures that fly. Those rigid bones, keel-like sterms, fused wishbones seem to have a clear purpose just to help them fly. Those of us who walk on the surface of the earth have lungs that act like bellows, pumping air in and out. Our whole muscle and skeletal design is built around that function. In fact, we mix the bad air with the good in our lungs, mainly because we don't require as much oxygen for our normal functions. But birds, however, have lungs that are like tubes. These air sacs take in air at one end and expel it at the other, sort of like the grill-to-muffler system of a modern car. They're designed to take a unidirectional flow of air while the animal is flying. That design allows for a higher oxygen absorption by the blood system when the muscles are working at their hardest during flight. The evidence demonstrates that flying creatures were designed to fly. Everything that we observe, both in current fauna and in fossils, supports the conclusion that they were created as flying creatures, just as Genesis suggests. So when we talk about the creation... When God began to tell us how he did it and give us the instructions about how he brought life into existence, we can begin to understand something of his efficiency and the reason why I said, this is good. It really works. 
it functions just like I designed it to be. When we see a bird flying, it's not an accident. It's a design, a purpose, an order that fits, and it's designed to teach us something about the great majesty of the one who brought them into existence in the first place. Remember, the evidence demonstrates that flying creatures were designed to fly. Everything that we observe, both in current animals and in the fossils, supports the conclusion that they were created as flying creatures, just as Genesis teaches. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.